Hey, 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 what's going on, Asymmetry? How y'all doing? Oh my goodness, been out of the house for a hot minute. We made the much longer than anticipated, according to my navigation system, journey to Telluride, Colorado for one of the most incredible events I've ever attended. I'm sure some of you out there have been to uh, the notorious Mountain Film Festival. Not notorious in a bad way, in a tremendous way, actually. It was a superb experience. We were part of a documentary that's been being filmed over the past four years that uh, made its world premiere. Some of you have heard whispers of this. It will be out on HBO uh, late fall, early winter of this year. But to celebrate the premiere, we showed our work in the Slate Gray Gallery in Telluride, made my long-awaited return to uh, the alpine environments of Colorado and uh, and got to show my work in tandem with the great and powerful Beth Moon, an unbelievable photographer and a wonderful friend. Anyways, Lonnie and I just sat and wrapped and recapped our experiences at Mountain Film and uh, hopefully put a bug in your ear to keep an eye out for trees and other entanglements coming to HBO this fall. I sure do like the shadow of the big trees around the garden on the new shade structure. That is something I did not predict. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. I'm like I'm like looking out here and seeing these five foot wide metal archways illuminated by the sun, but then the shade of the trees like casting this like there was a forever impression made on me when we were down in the Redwoods for the Mariah and the Wild project and like the shadow of the trees on the deadwood of the Redwoods. It was the coolest thing. It was amazing. And Diana was like, it looks like um, shadows on a shoji screen. And that just like, like cemented it in my brain as one of the cooler things that we get to see in the forest. And it was so interesting when we did the Artisan's Cup, because Skylab, you know, like when we were thinking about the structures and we were thinking about the theme of the Artisan's Cup, the American forest with all of these, you know, not not exclusively Native North American species, but like primarily Native North American species, it, it, it had that built-in organic theme. And when we were thinking about the backdrop to the trees, it was like this sort of stained wood backdrop. And then I was like, what if we cut these diagonals through this solid backdrop to allow light to pass through. But when you look at it, it's solid. But when you're just off to the side, you see that moment where you see the light filtering through tree trunks in a forest. That's freaking awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. But like that, that the continuation of that event with Mirai being built basically in the woods, which is what one of the things that makes it unique, I think, as a garden. So many bonsai gardens are constructed in urban environments. Yeah. Where, well, it's, where it's just like cleared and kind of sterilized and built into in terms of, you know, and that's not a bad thing. That's not derogatory. It's just a different environment, a different aesthetic. It comes with different opportunities. But like certainly seeing the forest aesthetic on now the built, we've like taken some of that urban like architecture and, <laughs> and building materials and we've put them <clears throat> like smack dab in the middle of the forest. It's like, and the greenhouse makes me think of the same exact thing. Those slats, the way the oh, light. Oh, interesting. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's echoes it's, everywhere. I've always, I always wondered, like in architecture, if an architect actually 
thinks about all these things or if these are just the serendipitous sort of trickle down of good application of design where you like start to experience all these things that were unpredictable because this was certainly not predictable no yeah well and those themes internalize which is pretty cool yeah that is interesting i wonder if it's sub i wonder if there's like a subconscious uh a subconscious sort of push or a subconscious leaning in a direction that then starts to create these similar thematics or if it just is completely random because i would say that's totally random each one has been an intentional gesture, right? Totally. Of like shape and form. But yeah. the outcome, like all of the beautiful components of the outcome have been well, what feels to me very, very random. And they're like the great discoveries. But being around you for the last three years, everything you do is a play with light ah. and shadow. Oh, interesting. And so huh. I don't think it could have been built without it. <laughs> so you feel as though uh, it, it sort of worked out just as a general sort of course that we've charted. 100%. For what we're being. Well, yeah. that, that's, that's very possible too. That's very flattering though. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had this fantastic experience. You and me. Oh. <laughs> we had this fantastic yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Which was the first of its kind for me. And that experience was getting to go to Mountain Film and Telluride. Yeah, that that was something different. That was, that was new. That was uh, new. That was quite an adventure. And not only did we get to go to Mountain Film and Telluride, which growing up in the Roaring Fork River Valley, up valley from Aspen, or down valley, as they would say, which is actually sort of an opposite. But growing up, we were always considered down valley from Aspen, as if Aspen was like this mecca of who knows what. Now it's just insane wealth and complete and total uh, flaunting of resources. But when I was younger, Aspen was like the end of a the dead end of a road, right at this <laughs> at this place that you could only describe as God's country. Uh, And because the mountains were so high, it became sort of this epicenter of water and runoff that then fed the the Crystal River and several other tributaries that fed the Roaring Fork. And then the Roaring Fork connected to the Colorado River uh, in Glenwood Springs where I grew up. And it was like just this like magical alpine wonderland. Uh, but growing up in the Roaring Fork Valley, I always knew about the Aspen Film Festival, the Blues Festival, the Bluegrass Festival, but I was always aware of Mountain Film and Telluride. And wow. it was, and, and Telluride in general, for me growing up, was this distant hinterland that had some sort of like affiliation to Aspen as a very um, chic tourist driven ski town which is a culture that I connect with because that is how I grew up has all of the wonderful things of high mountains and lots of snow which is natural fresh water hiking biking climbing mountaineering fishing skiing snowboarding snowmobiling alpine uh, uh, endeavors but I had never actually been to Telluride well and to just double down on that growing (laughs) up in Florida I had never even heard of Telluride <laughs> <laughs> up until four right, months ago. Right. I did not know that this magical place even existed. Oh, 
What was your impression of Telluride? Did you did you look at images before you went? I I cheated. Oh, I did. you did. I okay. Did. All right. Well, I totally respect that approach. I personally take the I want to be completely shocked and awed approach, but like I also recognize like being prepared and equipped, which I was not for that journey. <laughs> I am way too much of a planner, uh-huh. as as you know. Uh huh. But I was not ex- prepared for the plane ride. Oh. Because I I didn't realize that most flights don't land there. Right. Yep. Right. But smooth sailing, gorgeous mountains. Yeah. It was its own tiny little, what, eight block? Yeah. Eight, ten blocks of magic. Yes. Old mining town. Like, when... So the the whole reason that Lonnie and I were in Telluride for Mountain Film is I've had the really fortunate opportunity to be part of a documentary titled Trees and Other Entanglements that will be out on HBO um, this fall or early winter. And it's essentially a documentary that follows, I think there's five or maybe six characters in their you know, odd or unique relationship with trees and how trees become this sort of centrifuge more or less of the human experience. And it was it was a really spectacular opportunity to learn so much about several other fascinating individuals, but um, the film being, I think, an incredible creative endeavor uh, by the director, Irene Taylor, uh, had its world premiere at Mountain Film. And with the world premiere at Mountain Film, um, in this sort of documentary sphere of films, typically some of the characters will come to the premieres where the audience can ask questions and you can be involved in Q&As. And what ended up transpiring in Telluride is we had the opportunity to have a gallery showing of our trees with one of the other characters in the film who I have known and been aware of her work for a very long time and been a complete and total fanboy. But beyond that, um, through the making of the film, have become quite good friends with the photographer Beth Moon, who's, I think, most pivotal piece of work. And there's multiple pieces of work that are pivotal, but my personal favorite is her uh, photographic book, Ancient Trees. Yeah, phenomenal. Unbelievable. Yeah. Fantastic human being. I, I, I love Beth as, as a person. Getting to know her and her husband, Peter, has, has really been a true pleasure through this experience. Um, but having the opportunity to show my work next to hers felt like it was something I was never going to have the chance to do again. <laughs> so it was like, we got to go. I was so curious about that because you've mm. done exhibitions before. Right. And, um, you know, there's Spectrum... You've been in Wayne Kennedy, Artisan's Cup, yeah. all all of these things. But what was it like mm. wearing this artist's hat and and someone who's in a film versus teacher, boss, trench digger hat? Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh that is a really interesting question, which like I also had to kind of like pinch myself because Again, I, I'm going to equate Telluride sort of as a similar experience to growing up near Aspen, which was also a mining town that has turned into a high art community. And Telluride 
you know, this beautiful mountainous alpine enclave that has really bred a lot of both extreme athletes as well as incredibly beautiful art. Um, and going to the galleries as a young kid, because my dad insured a lot of the galleries in Aspen and through the Roaring Fork Valley, and, and he would take me with him to go see these places, I always looked at the artists that were being shown in these spaces as like these untouchable superstars. Cool. Because how could, you, how could your work be respected so much that it is in this architecturally significant place, but also in this place that was sort of held on a pedestal in my small perspective of the world in the miniature fishbowl that I grew up in, in this small little mountainous community in Colorado, you know, that from around the world, somebody sought your work to bring it into this space. And so then having the opportunity to show in Slate and Gray, which is just an outstanding and beautiful gallery in Telluride. Oh my gosh. So gorgeous. And the community there. Ugh. Unbelievable. Every single person uh, at Slate Gray was outstanding to work with. The owner came to the film and the events, uh, Allison and Sasha and the team. Absolutely incredible uh, experience to be there. But it really was like this coming to fruition of so many different moving parts in my life you know to be in that space put put my trees in that space and then you know I had a list of best work and you and I talked mm -hmm. about she showed you know my favorite piece of best work is is ancient trees but I mean a close second would be Baobab her book on on the Madagascar Baobabs um from the continent of Africa, which are, you know, unfortunately another ancient tree that is in tremendous peril right now. Um, and a lot of the work that Beth showed or had available to show because she happened to be going from Telluride to France to a major photography festival where they're going to be ba basically making giant frescoes of her work on buildings that are going to be in, in this small town in France for the next three months. Um, so she had a limited body of work that she could send, but it was primarily Baobab work. And, mm -hmm. and it was like, what is our connection to this like African species of tree that is a phenomenally standalone, unique shape, form, etc. And it really started to kind of feel intimidating to me. And you kind of kept me in the game of like, I'm just kind of thinking like, is it height? Is it is it layout or format or details? And in the end, ultimately, what determined the work that we took was basically like what trees can travel Right. At this really precarious time of year where it is spring and temperatures are warming up, growth is emerging and very soft and delicate and being indoors is very tenuous. And then transporting trees in the spring, hands down the worst time to transport because you're driving from the Pacific Northwest where our peak temperature had been like 65 degrees. And we had to drive these trees through Idaho, which is incredibly hot, through Utah, which is a desert including Moab, which was, I think, 95 degrees as we were driving through Moab. Oh, my gosh. And then this is what I didn't uh, anticipate, not having been to Telluride, even though I'm like sitting here waxing poetically about how I identify with these alpine mountainous towns, is we drive from 95 in Moab literally an hour and a half or two hours east to Telluride, and it was still freezing at night. Well, and it was so hot during the day. It was ridiculous. It was the most incredibly fantastic and also just freaking ridiculous climate because it's 
late May, early June, the aspen trees had not budded out yet. They were not in leaf. And the right. first night that we arrived, I was like freaking out because these trees are in like super soft budding state and it's like 95 degrees in Moab and the back of the U-Haul is like cooking. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got like deciduous trees and and a spruce forest and I've got a redwood that's just freshly budding out and they've seen 65 or 70 degrees and now it's 95 in the back of this thing and then we get to mo or then we get to tell you ride and we arrived at 10 o'clock we drove 22 hours straight we left portland at 11 p.m the previous night after working a full day to get there and then i had to unload the freaking trees at like 10 30 at night going i i was on like 42 hours straight without sleep and i had to unload the trees because it was gonna freeze it was just like <laughs> Well, if that's not a snapshot of the diversity in a very short geographic span, when you look yeah. at Portland to Telluride, is like that's thirty percent of the east to west width of North America, and and the radical climactic shifts that occur as a result of these mountainous events followed by the rain shadows and the the environments that uh, proceed those uh, mountainous events in terms of the Sierras, the Cascades, and then the deserts, high deserts and high plains that result afterwards and then the Rocky Mountains and then it does it all over again. It, it's, it was like such a radical experience. Yeah. Well, and I, when I saw your selection after we had been talking about connective tissue, I was like, what the heck? Right. Like, what? Right. What? Right. what? What did you do, right? Like, did I totally drop the ball? Well, I I had a little okay. hesitation. That's okay. But then mm -hmm. when the trees got in the space, it was perfection. Magic. magic. It was pure magic. That spruce forest, I did not have hope. It was everyone's favorite. Yeah, it was magic. Yep. Yeah, it was magic. And I don't know why I was so compelled to bring that piece. I don't know why I felt like that was the piece to bring, except for it was like this, if I couldn't, if I couldn't match Beth's work with some sort of strand of connective tissue, then I wanted to go as far away from it as possible, yeah. as, as polar opposite as I could be. And so she had this massive wide baobab image of like three or four massive baobabs, and there were these goats in it for scale. And the Alberta spruce forest, which you know, was really created in the spirit of of mimicking a re reproduction forest, right. you know, deforestation reproduction forest. So this totally human influenced thing next to this like radical freak of nature in the ancient baobabs, and I think it was I think it was just the presentation of of shape and form as far as that elongated context that made it work. Well. And I didn't think about it until now um, without spoiling the movie, but it honors an additional character that wasn't present totally. at the festival. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting, too. I didn't even make that connection. As we're sitting here, like, talking about the light on this, like, architectural form out in the garden. Yeah, that that's really fun. 
yeah. to find those like and and I, and I brought a really beautiful cascading Rocky Mountain juniper, which which actually the reason that I brought the cascading Rocky Mountain juniper was because Beth was like capturing these baobab trees um, prior to them basically collapsing because they're kind of under under this like you know temperature and less and less rainfall circumstance of the you know a global event that we're all experiencing their core is like deteriorating and because of the mass of the trees they just collapse it's just like the tree just like implodes it literally folds in on itself and, and like falls out. apart yeah. yeah and it's like crazy but um this rocky mountain juniper the connection that i it had to the her the context of her work was that it is a tree that also through these climactic shifts has become more susceptible to boring beetles and mm. the deterioration which boring beetles are changing the face of of the western forest right now and this tree had lost four major live veins it used to be this like six sort of branch trunk clump and now there's just one final living piece and so when it was put on the pedestal next to one of her baobabs that was out of leaf all of the deadwood that was deteriorated and deceased from this borer action like married perfectly with the twigginess of the baobab and because the space was what it was slightly limited where we had our work compared to the artists that the gallery represents which all the respect to make sure you're giving the artists you represent the greatest space in your gallery but we were sort of confined to this space in the way that the tree and the and and her print overlapped was like you couldn't have you couldn't have dreamt dreamt it any better I don't think. Marai serendipity. Marai serendipity. Yeah, it was really fun. But, you know, the thing, the experience of that gallery showing that made the biggest impression on me was doing the live styling. There were so many people. So for context, mm -hmm. there was an art walk that happened the first night of the festival. Right. And there was this buzz going around town that this tree guy was coming. <laughs> <laughs> First bones I ever in Telluride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so many people turned out. Yeah. Yeah, that and was crazy. Hundreds. Hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. And you were, you know, right next to everyone who came in and yeah. passed through the gallery. Yeah. Yeah. The I I've always I've like in my own personal practice with bonsai have always believed it's all about the process and the journey it's not about the final product but like when we show bonsai whether it's in an exhibition or a, a gallery you show the finished product of however many years and however many tens of hundreds of hours of care and toil and challenge and technique and artistry and it's like there you go there's the finished thing and people are like oh that's a bonsai i want one of those and it's like well, do you know what it took? And so to take a raw, and I brought a very big, powerful Rocky mm -hmm. Mountain Juniper that I've wanted to work on for a very long time. And I wanted to be informed by Beth's work, which I think actually, I didn't predict this, but the drive through Moab and all of the Utah Junipers more connected to the form of the Rocky Mountain. And I got more inspiration from the trip to the gallery cool. than I got from any other aspect of the trip and the working on that tree. But like, I wanted to work on that tree. I started early in the morning in the gallery on that tree. And 10 hours later at the end of the art walk and like hundreds of people and tremendous amounts of conversation, I really realized like, 
that showing that process was maybe the most powerful piece of work I've ever put in public. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And I, you know, we spend a lot of time interacting with bonsai folk. Sure. And these people had no clue. No clue. And it, the most frequent question I got was, are these trees real? Are they real? Are they real? That one caught me off guard. Me too. And yeah. over and over again. Yeah. And then people's defiant disbelief that they were real. Like, yeah. these aren't real. It's like, yeah, they are. And they're like, no, they're not. It's like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, I water them every day. I mean, like, th- I've seen them die before. I'm pretty sure they're real. Like, yeah. they grow. They, like, do crazy stuff that only a real tree could do. And they're just, like, when the it finally clicked in that, like, they weren't fake and they were real, like, they're, like, it was such a, what? The, uh-huh. the, 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 the disbelief of that moment was so pleasurable. And I would say generally as a bone type person, you know, like you, you kind of, there's like in the bone side world, we all experience this at club shows and events where people come in and they're like, oh, this is, you know, these aren't real or, you know, they ask the stupid question, how old is this? Or how, how, mm-hmm. how expensive is this? Or, you know, and it's like as a bone side person surrounded by bone side people, there's a snicker to those simple questions, but when there's not another bonsai person in sight, right? <laughs> and it was just me and hundreds of people, and you were documenting it, and like people were talking with us, and it was like seeing the disbelief. It was a totally different vibe, and it was really, it was a really pleasant experience. Yeah, because I, I do think that there was an interesting draw to this festival where it is deep nature lovers. Yeah, it is not easy. Yeah. To get out there. Yep. And so when someone found out that, you know, one of the trees was over 200 years old, they were like, whoa, they felt the history. Yeah. They, they had gone on a snowshoeing trip where they had seen a tree that was 200 years old and yes. like it clicked. And that was really cool to see. That was amazing. That was amazing. And I was really surprised. I was really surprised because... I had, I, again, growing up in Western Colorado, I was really kind of embarrassed. Like I was like kind of going home as like a Colorado boy for this major mm-hmm. institution. And again, growing up near Aspen, I knew of Mountain Film. I knew of, of this major film festival that was sort of, and my parents used to always equate it to, oh, it's like, um, it's like what Warren Miller Film Festival, which was like these extreme skiing, like film events. And like Mountain Film is kind of like that. There were a lot of climbing climbing films, which I, I'm like all about, you know, like Conrad Anker and Jimmy Chen were there and mm-hmm. Jimmy Chen and and, and uh, his wife were, were premiering one of their f- films at Mountain Film. But like I was really surprised at how many um, films there were about the human condition. 100%. I had not anticipated that at all. And I, and I didn't know what to expect, but like, I was so thrilled just to be there for like the the legend and the magic of mountain film. And the other thing that I couldn't have anticipated is mountain film, much like everything else in the world, apparently really suffered from the pandemic and had like a a major uh, uphill battle to get back to or to evolve post pandemic to the festival and the spirit that it had had prior to such a major impediment in everybody's lives. Right. Yeah. Well, and cause they were on the road for a while or just released it digitally. Right. Right. And so to pivot back when it 
became so accessible is yeah. a challenge. Very big challenge. Yeah. 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 So it felt it felt amazing uh to to get to be a part of that and experience it and um getting to show with with Beth was phenomenal. Uh getting to see the trees film in public was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, it was just like a it was like a total it was like a total I felt like I was living for like five days. I felt like I was living in like an alternative, like an alternative universe. Wow! I really did. I felt like I was living in utopia, actually. Different Ryan Neal. Different. I is super different. Yeah, I feel like it brought that positive energy back too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it was. It was. It was. Um. I think like going on vacation, you go on vacation with like an expectation that like you're going to relax and stuff and you never end up relaxing. But this was like work. But then I got there and it like it wasn't work because even though I was there with the trees and I had to take care of them and I was styling this tree and like it was just like very enjoyable because there was like this tremendous pillared sense of home. Yeah. That was really unique. 9,000 feet of elevation is high though. Huh? That was pretty high. <laughs> walking, <laughs> walking, walking up the hill to like the Airbnb that we were staying with. I don't know if you had this experience walking around, but like just walking up just like a hill. I mean, the hills, the the, the houses were on very steep slopes, which uh-huh. was really interesting. Uh, but walking up those steep slopes at 9,000 feet, uh, I was not, I was no longer a Colorado boy. <laughs> I was like, I like have fully acclimated to, to, uh, like ocean, ocean level, um, sea level. That's what I was looking for. Sea level elevation. I've officially made the acclimation going back to Colorado is a little tough. Yeah. I, I had my like clockwork nosebleeds and I was just like, Oh, uh, drip, drip. Is this this snot or blood? Yes. A little little bit of both turns out. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, the 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 dryness at that elevation. Even even with all of the mountains surrounded by snow, and I I'm pretty sure that the that those mountains around Telluride are called the San Juans. But like, yeah, just the fact that I'd never been there, just the fact that that kind of alpine environment was literally two hours from Moab, from like Arches National Park. I was just like, wild. What? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was great. Well, and contrasting our Mariah in the Wild trips where we are going hard. There is, you know, I don't know, six hours of sleep where we don't see each other. And then it's like all day, every day we're in it. Right. And I feel like, you know, I'd send you a text and you'd respond two hours and be like, you know, here's your answer. Hope you're having a fun day. Right. And and so we experienced very different yeah. weekends. What outside of the trees film, outside of uh, the gallery? Yeah. What What was a standout moment? Oh man, yeah, great question. What was a standout moment? Um, the first night that we were there after the gallery had been installed prior to the live styling the the following day they had the filmmakers barbecue which we were both mm. at and they drove us in the in the these vans up this very winding road which i get horri- i like i get like car sick car sick me too I, yeah i yeah. get 
I get car sick, like even looking at a car. <laughs> and so we're like driving. It's only like a 10. Fi- I didn't know what to expect. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in this van. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what the road looks like. And we just so happened to be with this guy that did not give a crap that there were people in the back of the van. He was like power sliding on like the dirt gravel road washboard. I mean, I cringe to think about that van after that guy driving it because it was just like he was really hardcore. And I, I got out like 15 minutes later at like, we were probably at like, what, 10,500 uh-huh. feet of elevation. Yep. And I don't know if I actually experienced elevation sickness or if it was sleep deprivation because I had just driven for like 40, you know, had a 42 hour day and like. Maybe uh, all of the above. All of the above. So I had like car sickness, maybe some elevation sickness, also just some sleep deprivation and like it all kind of hit me. But Whenever you're in a, for me, whenever I'm in an environment where it it is that undeniably stunning and breathtaking, and that event was on a grassy meadow in the middle of 360 degree mountainous peaks surrounding you, still covered in snow, and the aspens are just starting to leaf out, and the food was great, and the music (sighs) was great, and the people, the creative community uh, was something that I have never experienced before. I've, a cre- I've experienced the creative bonsai community. I've mm-hmm. experienced the creative Portland community in differing ways over the course of the 13 years that I've been here at Mirai. But I've never experienced the documentary, creative documentary filmmaking and extreme outdoor sports world. And I dug it. It was special. I was into it. Yeah, yeah. it was a different... Because I think in bonsai, sometimes it's such a small world, or sometimes bonsai is too, almost too, I I, I shouldn't say that. It's not too personal. That's what makes bonsai so special is it is so personal. Um, But in documentary film, my impression of it is that so many people are trying to make objective, potentially even journalistic work or they're making film about subjects that they are not so married to or tethered to, it was of interest. They were contracted or commissioned to explore this subject matter and use their artistry and creativity to make this film. They were granted permission, access, some something, but it's right. not like it's not what defines them. Yep. They so, get to pop into a world that defines someone else. Exactly. Yeah. So it wasn't a definition of them. So there wasn't this defensiveness, there wasn't this ownership, there wasn't this mere reflection of them as an individual in this body of work that they were presenting that had such a sensitive delicacy to how it was discussed, handled, viewed, etc. And that meant that it seemed like everybody could just kind of rock out and be themselves. Yeah, And that was really nice to see the collaboration, to see the unity of the community, to see people getting together for the first time after, you know, the mountain mountain film had not been to the capacity as I understand it. It was when we were there. It was like that was, I would say, across the continual strand and and thread across the entire weekend was um, that positivity in the community and the collaborative nature of the filmmaking community, at least in that environment with the spirit of mountain film being what it is. And apparently 
what I understand, and I don't know any different. That's my first film festival. I don't know if it'll be my last, but it's not. I'm not going to be rushing to film festivals all over the world. I got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but apparently, Mountain Film is very special for that uh, community component to it. Well, and the geographic constraints really honors this sense of community. Yeah. Because that was something that stood out to me was that I would walk down the street and by day two, I would always recognize someone going down the high sure. street. Yeah. There someone stopped me and he was like, Oh, you were you were on my plane at five in the morning yesterday and recognized <laughs> me and was like, you made that zipper comment when we're all trying to merge in. And and he had a film in the festival and was like, oh. oh, you know, just just stopping to me and said, hey, I see you. Yeah. And and that's the spirit is just like, I recognize you. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad your plane made it in. I didn't realize it was that treacherous to like fly a plane into. I understand why. I understand why. Because you've got like this mountainous valley and the air currents of like heat and cold and like those colliding pockets of air make it pretty gnarly but like what was it like dropping were you in a small plane yeah uh so after denver we flew key lime air uh holler okay. which never even heard of it same uh-huh a 30 person plane um right and so uh and it was, it was a little bouncy but it was it was fine it wasn't until um Shout out to the Vermilion team mm -hmm. who produced the film. Right. Um, it wasn't until we were about to board that plane uh, did uh, someone on that team say, I'm really glad we made it onto this flight because the last time they had showed at the festival, n no flights made it. Okay. All flights were rerouted. Right. And so it was wow. just a special little moment in time. <laughs> we made it. That's amazing. What was the standout moment for you? So I think it was after we had seen trees twice. Mm -hmm. We had a celebration dinner. We were partying and we really wanted to capture the trees in the gallery at night. Right. Um, I had been building a relationship with uh, Sasha, who had mm -hmm. worked at the gallery because they were all so cool. Yeah. And so I gave him a call and I was like, any chance you could unlock the gallery for me and like let me slip in for 20 minutes? And he's like, you got it. I'll be there. Give me five minutes. And so walked over. Sasha unlocked the place. We took photos and videos for an hour. And wow. then he was like, you hungry? And like yeah yeah I'll, I'll go grab something to eat and he's like okay we'll go and he walked me to his house and he made me a meal what yes oh you didn't tell me this i know amazing and so i had like a 10 o'clock dinner with sasha and then went on my way and just lovely sparkled eyed jeweler man wow and I, and it just embodied everything of that festival where it's just community. Yeah. Wow. You did not tell me that. Yeah. That's amazing. I know. It was, it was sweet. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah. Good vibes. It was, uh, I was, I was like, as we were packing up, as so often happens, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you, my experience showing trees anywhere that I go, 
go to national show in, in Rochester, you go to uh, a gallery showing and like all of the energy that goes into organizing and getting there and like Pacific Bonsai Expo, the Artisan's Cup was very, the Artisan's Cup was like this on steroids, but um, you get there and you put the whole thing together, but, and it, and it like takes a lot of time and there's so much care. When it's over, it's like, by any means necessary, as rapidly as you can, <laughs> take it down and get out. Get out. And get out. And like, but as I was like taking the trees and putting them in the truck and like we had to pack up the Airbnb and clean everything, you know, and it's just like, uh, it was really one of the first times that I was like, man, I, I, don't, I don't really want to go, you know, I don't yeah. really want to go. Now, here's the thing. Going when you feel like that is the key. Right? time. Because if you stay, then all of a sudden the chink's in the armor, which the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. There is a reality to living in Telluride that would also be very challenging, I have to believe. I mean, it it's an eight-block town. Right. Tourist-driven. Sure, yep. Uh, the ebb and flow of seasonal life people, the constant influx of crowds like Mountain Film, like the Blues Festival, right. like the Telluride Film Festival, the ski season. You know, it's, it's just, it would be really, uh, I mean, I know from experience growing up in a tourist town, it was, and I was really happy that the local community was so supportive of Mountain Film. Yeah. Because uh, the way that I understand it, by the end of like the major season for festivals, like it's not it's not such a smiley place anymore. Well, I'm sure because you know it was a special weekend for us that mm -hmm. we dip in, dip out. Yeah, and it's there every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. And so you know, yeah. it gets old. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I got to enjoy that little slice of utopia. Me too. It was pretty great. Um, but yeah. before we close out. I got I got to ask because mm -hmm. we haven't really talked about the film. Yeah, we haven't talked about the film at all. I, I've actually been I've actually been very tight lipped about the film because I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. How do you feel? Yeah. Wow. You know, I think uh, I think obviously there's like murmurs and whispers in, in the community very close to Mirai. People knew people that were here during the filming of like the you know, the 14 month time lapse of the bald cypress forest. And right. like, you know, it was there, there were, there were people here filming, uh, while students were here, you know, while students were gone, like, but honestly, like that, that period of time that this trees documentary was being filmed was probably the most challenging time in my life, I would say, you know, for, for a variety of factors. It checks out. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, it was really interesting to see somebody, and I think Irene Taylor, fantastic, tremendously talented director, artist, creative, to see her handle all of these different people's stories and interweave them into this singular film, which seeing it, it was almost like I was removed from the events that I had experienced that contributed to my story in the film. And it was this like creative opus. Surreal. It was really a creative opus as far as a filmmaking uh, product is concerned of an incredible capacity to storytell, 
I think, a beautiful representation of the human spirit and the relationship of human beings to their passionate position. And, uh, you know, I think really at times confusing perspective of trees. Yeah. That, you know, it wasn't it wasn't sugar coated. It wasn't all uh lollipops and bubblegum. It it was a it was a it was a very deep internal dive into the the human condition. There there were a few moments that were like do, do I want to like this person? Right. Do do I want to empathize? Yes. Yes. And and quite quite complicated uh-huh. to to honor and weave so many stories and it was done so well. Yeah. Yeah, it was really uh I'll never forget the first viewing of it. That will forever go down at the at the opera house in Telluride. Small, tiny space. Uh, apparently according to everybody else who had, you know, who has this desire to see the most pristine 4K picture quality and audio experience, it was not the best for me. <laughs> I'll take that venue any day over some modern theater just because of the history the confinement it was a small old you know double decker space i just thought that was like a supreme experience to see the film for the first time and i was it was it was really unbelievable and i think you know as much as anything I was really flattered and I did I have not realized this. I, I understand this in what we make at Mirai that like these things will live on. But like seeing a film of this nature that is a full length, it's almost two hours long. Full yeah. length feature film documentary. It's like that is um that is is something that is sort of imprinted in the same way that like this firing a ceramic vessel is imprinted in the geological record. It's like the the making of like a film like that is imprinted in sort of the cultural records. And yeah. I was super flattered to be with Beth Moon and Carolyn Finney and the the wide array of characters. The Pacific Bonsai Museum was a part of that. And, yeah. you know, the complexity of George Weyerhaeuser and, you know, then the people that sort of come in and, and handle those environments that are cut and replant. It's just like, wow, super, super uh, complex. What did you think? Oh, I thought it was fabulous. Mm-hmm. and And really humanizes our relationship with nature yeah there's these metaphors that you know without without revealing too much of the film it was just this stunning piece that weaves together different relationships Mm -hmm. with trees and really honoring each person's unique perspective and life events that got them to that relationship with yeah. the tree. Yeah. And to do that with many subjects, yeah. it, it, it was just a feat. Yeah. 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 It was unbelievable. I, I, I never could have imagined it would. Again, like having the experience that we have at Mirai, mm-hmm. where we like go and we like make this Mirai in the Wild project and then to see what it becomes, it's like you understand like what's filmed is not necessarily what the story is. It's like sort of, you know, that that's just the material that the story is then told from. 
yeah, it was really radical to see how it all, how it all intertwined. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for people to have the opportunity to see it. The, the most that I know is that it comes out in quarter four. Yes. Which so probably December? November, December, November I'm December. guessing. Yeah. On, on HBO. HBO. On HBO. It'll be there. Yeah. Trees and other entanglements. What a tease. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. Telluride Film Festival. What a what a rock and roll experience. We'll be probably putting out, I'm assuming we'll probably put out some of the stuff that you captured there yeah. at some point yep. in the near future. So keep it's an eye calendar. out for that. Yeah. And uh, anticipate one one heck of a incredible documentary on trees that we were so fortunate to get to be a part of. Yeah, so special. And yeah. when we know more, we'll pass it along. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay tuned. Hi, bye.